Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you so much for joining us today. It looks like we are set and ready to go here in what I'm still calling the new studio. We've only done, I don't know, four videos maybe down here and uh, I'm excited to be back in here today. We have been on hiatus again. It just continues. I won't divulge all the information as to why. Uh, but thank you for staying close. You can always find us at pathdesign.com and, of course, here on YouTube. And send us an email if you would like to connect with us and let us know anything that's on your mind, any questions that you might have, any thoughts, concerns, challenges. What's the Lord saying? What's the Spirit saying to you and to your group of people, your family, wherever you live in the world? You can always send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. We're going to get right into today. This is going to be a several-part series, but I did want to let you know um, that tomorrow we will be in Knoxville, Tennessee. And as of right now, I've got an interview scheduled with um, Shiloh Ben-Hod from Israel. He is doing an American tour um, with several other individuals that do music over there with him. And I'm really excited about it. I'm a little bit nervous I have not done interviews for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> this is just a different dynamic just by by myself. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about joining in to an evening of worship, of music that we're familiar with, and uh, getting to meet him, ask him some questions, and kind of see his perspective on the body of Messiah and, and just what the Father's doing throughout the world right now in this age, and of course getting to know him a little bit better. So be looking for that. Um, By the time these start posting, um, the interview will probably be either ongoing or past tense, and so of course it will make it on here as soon as it is done. Now today I'm going to do some PowerPoint, and I'm just going to be honest, I say this all the time on the program, super professionalism is not what this is about, about perfectly placed this and that and everything I don't like spending tech time on that sort of thing, so so you're going to see a PowerPoint. We're going to slide over here a little bit in just a moment. It's not going to be flawless, and, but the, the whole point is information. The whole point is, is we, as the body of Messiah, that we can enter into just discussing these biblical truths that sometimes we understand rightly and many times we often do not. And so, so let's go ahead and get started. I've got to slide over just a little bit here. And what we're going to do is we're going to add this little screenshot here. And today is obviously on the screen. We're going to have, again, this will be multi-parts. I'm thinking probably two or three. And we're going to discuss that we have an altar. Um, and, and we're going to talk about the biblical understanding of an altar. Because... I mean, this is what I like to do is like, let's just say for a mere moment, I just, you see the word altar. You hear the word altar. What do you think about? What do you envision? Um, and so let's just do that for a second. I'll just say altar. What comes to mind when you saw this screen pop up? What is a rightful understanding of altar? And then we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take what maybe we think it is we're going to parallel it with the scriptures. Now, this is going to be very topical, as I always say, 
with many of these studies that, man, there are levels and levels, floors and floors of places we could go. We're just going to stay at the surface. We're going to kind of breeze through some things. Now, I do have some very interesting scriptures we're going to talk about. If you remember back, I did a series about um, the man of God and the old prophet um, and all the different nuances that were within that text and that account that were told. Now, now they made their way into this study as well. I, I shared this a couple months ago um, with a small gathering of people and sparked some really good conversation and really good questions in myself, of course, as I compiled it, and even more since then about my own understanding of an altar. And, and this word altar, for the most part, we're going to be in the Old Testament. And this word altar is mizbeach um, in Hebrew. And it occurs, best I can tell, 402 times. In 338 verses in the Hebrew concordance. Okay, so that's a pretty good amount of times. 402, it's a pretty good number. <laughs> um, and, and again, we're going to primarily stick into the Old Testament text. We will get into a little bit New Testament, hence the name. We have an altar. Now, an altar, we're, we're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit about what it is and a little bit about what it is not. It's very important. And these are just things I compiled from my own studies, and you see if you agree or not, and maybe your perspective might be a little different than mine. This is my take on it. I would say that biblically speaking, because again, that's really the only understanding we need, it is a tangible reaction and a response. Now this I want to drive home in this series. I want to be crystal clear that one of the main points within this study is what an altar's purpose is when we're talking about an altar for Yahweh Elohim. Now, we're going to get into the specifics of a general altar to unknown gods, to little e Elohim. Those exist as well, and we're going to have to signify and kind of, you know, separate those out. But this one specifically is a tangible reaction and a response, a signifier, <clears throat> excuse me, of man's receiving something from Yahweh. Man, we're going to drive this home. I don't want to be redundant right out of the gate, but we've got to get in our understanding that the purpose of a biblical altar to Yahweh is a response, a reaction to something he's already done, something he's already accomplished on our behalf, something he has already done and initiated on his own. Okay? It is a memorial marking a designated area where Yahweh spoke. To man. I love, love, love this. We're going to talk about several scriptural accounts of that and the significance to drive home the point that there were altars set up throughout scripture when, when Yahweh met with men and men wanted to build a marker, a place. We see markers and memorials in different forms and fashions. An altar itself is one as well. A designated area, marked space, of where Yahweh spoke to man. And thirdly, statement to others. An altar is a statement to other people. And these are all, of course, intimately acquainted with one another. It is a declaration to all that this is a significant sacred space. This spot right here 
has been a dedicated, consecrated space for men to remember Yahweh God, meeting with them, extending himself to them, encountering them. Okay? And, and I'll repeat this a lot in this series of what a biblical altar is not. Okay? It's not a place that we beg for God's attention. It never was. Now, when you look at the scriptural patterns, we're not talking about a place where men said, okay, and again, this will become redundant because I think for, for normal Western culture, American Christianity for sure, we have some skewed understanding, misunderstanding of an altar, of we erect an altar, or we see ourselves as an altar. We can talk about that a little bit later as well, so we understand what we're even saying is, in, and is that even applicable? We're not trying to build something, establish something, in order to get God's attention. All right, all right, Father, I'm building you an altar, and I'm inviting your presence. You know, we hear all this jargon. We've heard our whole lives if we've been in the American church. Glory come down, God come down, <laughs> fire come down. We don't even know what we're saying most times, let's just be honest. And we're, we're, if we're not careful, we're begging for God's presence, his attention. We have to hold this so rightly. This takes expl- it takes explanation because can we cry out for more of Yahweh, more of his spirit, all these things? I believe yes. But we have to be careful that we're not some just beggar establishing an altar, whether it's a, a physical place or not, where we are asking for Yahweh to come and, and give us something or, or do something on our behalf because of what we've done. And this does take some unpacking, I realize. But it is not a place to seek out gain. We don't establish any memorial or a statement of a sacred space, a a consecrated space, in order to gain from the Father. From my understanding, I don't believe that that's the biblical pattern that we see. I do not believe it is a place established in order to receive personal gain with our heart's intent being, all right, God, I did this for you. Come now. Come down. Bless me. Give me favor. Give me this. Give me that. I built an altar for you. And and we'll establish in, in small measure, and it bears mentioning already, that, that throughout ancient cultures, all religions, for the most part, outside of of Yahweh Elohim built altars in order to get the attention of their gods. They built and erected altars in order to basically call out to their Elohim and say, all right, come on. And of course, we know they'd cut themselves. They'd do all these different things we won't even mention. Why? To gain the attention of their gods. And that's not really the pattern we see throughout Yahweh's people. We see them responding to something he's already done and therefore erecting an altar 
to forever memorialize the work that Yahweh himself instituted on their behalf. Okay? So I'll repeat that a lot throughout this. Now, um, pagan altars were full of people trying to get the attention of their gods. This is not what we're talking about. Genesis chapter 4, Seth has a son. His name is Enosh. Um, the verse specifically says, Then, at that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, this call upon is a, we've taught on this before, is a big word. I love it. Is this karah. Um, it's to cry out. It's to make famous. It's to declare loudly. Um, and it's intimately acquainted with to make a monument to, memorialize. Um, and so from that point on, in Genesis chapter 4, Yahweh's redemptive work, from my opinion, had begun in the offspring of Seth. Now, Seth, we know, is a gift from Yahweh to replace, if you will, Abel. And so we see this pattern, and, and, and we're going to talk about, like, where did this start here in just a minute. Um, a biblical pattern is very simple, but yet very necessary to understand. An altar must have a sacrifice. It's a fascinating biblical pattern. It cannot be an altar without one. It can't be. And, and this is how all these things, we're not just talking about Old Testament history here. All these things, as we always talk about here, that the, the new covenant is, is the old on our heart. <laughs> that's, that's the newness that Yeshua brought, is the same Old Covenant law on tablets of stone, now through Mediator Messiah, come and are now written upon the hearts of men. It's the prophesied New Covenant. And so on that side, we have to filter all these things about understanding an altar and who we are, what we're doing, why we're here, why we exist post-regeneration, salvation. We are being saved and we will be saved. I was not saved, marked forever, untouchable. I am being saved. I'm being sanctified as well into the image and likeness of the Son. But there has to be a sacrifice to make an altar an altar. <laughs> you cannot just erect a, a pile of stone and call it an altar unless there is a sacrifice. That is a biblically clear pattern. From what I have found and from what I know. If there are exceptions, I would love to know. And, and then we can kind of filter that, insert that into what we're discussing. But from my understanding, you cannot have an altar without a sacrifice. Now, it's debatable when we want to say the, fir the first altar was established and built by men. Um, we know that Cain and Abel... Um, I think it's in Genesis 4. We, we know that they're making, they're bringing offerings to Yahweh. We know that. We know that they're bringing offerings to Yahweh. And so, again, in the text that I read, in the versions that I have, and there's so many I'm coming into that I realize are much more accurate, I'm sure. The only place that, I, the first place that I can find, let's put it this way is in Genesis chapter 8, where we're told word for word, line by line, that an altar was erected. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't one for Cain and Abel, because that's an easy 
thing to explain and understand and give ourselves to. And this isn't about like stamping doctrinal fact as far as like, well, when exactly was the, that's really not the point. The point is that that altars came onto the scene. We're going to talk about some speculation about maybe where, just speculative alone, and uses some extra biblical text as well. But the first altar clearly recorded, clearly recorded, is the one erected by Noah. Um, and why? Because he responds to a pretty awesome move of God in his life. Would you not say? I mean, we, we, we won't even go into that, but I mean, imagine on the other side of the flood, okay? Just imagine that, okay? Imagine that, imagine that you are Noah, and your, your family is, is, is on the ark, and you have watched the destruction of the entire earth, okay? Whether you think the, the earth is a triangle, a square, or a heliocentric base globe, Imagine that you, yourself, and your family were the only ones spared out of all living beings, except for what, you know, what was on the ark with him, living beings, but the only human beings left on the populated earth. Now, when, when everything clears and, and the ark begins to settle and the dove is gone and all these things are transpired and they, and they exit the ark of safety, the ark of deliverance, Noah understandably builds an altar. Now, y'all think about this, okay? To establish the understanding of why an altar exists and what it is. It is a mark and a memorial to say, Yahweh, without you, I would be nothing. I am, I am dead trying to find a better way to say that, but I'm as good as dead without you. You are my deliverer. You are my safety. You are my ark of provision. You are my provider. You are the giver of life. You're the keeper of life, the preserver of my life. I want to make an altar and forever memorialize what you have done. And so we know that that is what, in fact, Noah did. Now, this is very likely what that looked like. And we'll read Genesis chapter 8. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every kind of clean animal, oh, clean animals, and some of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and he said to himself, quote, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. And so from the beginning, an altar was a memorial, a remembrance of communion with Yahweh. Of, uh, this is a, a little dialogue, if you will, <laughs> between the delivered and the deliverer. And it was a marked space, a sacred space, where, where this was erected to forever memorialize what Yahweh did on behalf of his people. It's incredible. Okay, so it probably looked very similar to this. I don't know what you had in your mind, and that's kind of why I asked you earlier. Because in this day and age that we live in, with religious culture as high as maybe it's ever been, of course now we're in the, the age of you know, laid-back strip mall church, kind of. 
mega church with coffee bars, but ornate religion still is, of course, on the earth and forever will be with gold-laden buildings and pillars. And I mean, even think of our, our large gatherings now with, you know, just theater seating and smoke and stages and dimming lights and fog machines. We try to do all that we can to summon the presence of Yahweh, y'all. This is very intimately acquainted, and I don't want this to turn into a rant in any way and we lose, lose focus, but we have to be careful that we understand what we're building, what has been built, what, we are, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing when we gather to be in the Lord's presence? What are we doing? How do we get there? What formulas are being placed for us to do so together? So Noah, he erected this altar, probably very similar to this here. And from the beginning, it was a memorial, and it was a reaction to who Yahweh is, what he had done, and a statement to all that Yahweh was the Elohim of Elohim's period. A response, a memorial, a marker. So where did the idea of an altar originate? Now, now this we're going we're gonna to kind of speculate a little bit. How did people know how to build an altar? Where, where, where did, if, if in fact we can concrete say Cain and Abel erected an altar because we know that they brought offerings to Yahweh, we know that. There's no disputing that. But even with Noah, or when we looked at Enosh briefly, that men began to call upon the name of the Lord, Karah, cry out to him then. And of course, that's acquainted with altars. Where did the idea come from? How do we know? There are some extra biblical things, writings that, that we can maybe lean to a little bit and look into and peer inside to get some insight, perhaps. But just some speculation. Now, I shared this with the group when I, when I taught this several weeks ago. I just like thinking this way, and a lot of people get really weirded out and say, well, that's not in the Bible. I'm not saying that. I will precede by saying, no, it's not. It's not. This is speculation. This is just our, our regenerated imagination, just saying, I just wonder. I like to ponder these things. I like to just ask questions and just wonder what in the world was going on. We'll bring this to a close and make it part one. But could we say that perhaps now, capital P, perhaps, <laughs> that the entire understanding of an altar to create communion between God and man began with Adam and Eve watching Yahweh do that on their behalf? Perhaps, perhaps. I just had the thought when I was putting this together, and this reminded me of some, some extra-biblical writings I had read years ago. That perhaps, in response to man's fall, rebellion, and when they had to be clothed by Yahweh, they didn't have to be, but he chose to because he's an awesome, perfect creator. He is love. He doesn't love us. He is love. He's the personification of love. It is his, his being. He chose to clothe mankind. 
to cover them. And of course, we know that, that there was bloodshed in order to make that happen. And, and not just, well, what happened with, with the rest of the animal? What happened with the entrails? You know, here on our farm, we've tried to implement some of these things and give them spiritual significance based on our understanding of biblical patterns and instructions to please the Father. And man, I'll just tell you, if, if, if doing too much to please the Father is just too much for us, then man, we've got a real problem. If our heart is our, our motor behind it. So we've started burning. When we process our animals here, we've started burning the entrails. And I'm telling you, friend, there's something to that. I used to just dump them down the hill. And just the Father, through what I, through what I learned and just through the Spirit in me, like, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm honoring the Father's creation like I say I am. Or that I pray as we're taking the life of an animal that I want to have a respect and an honor for the creation of the Creator and how He's provided a sacrificial animal literally for my life an exchange of life for life. And so I mentioned that just as a firsthand, like, minuscule comparison example of, like, the power and just the, I don't know, the weight of this kind of scenario, of, of an offering. Now, do I do that to earn God's favor or to somehow override the sacrificial blood of Yeshua Messiah? No way, and I don't even... That doesn't even, those aren't even in the same solar system. <laughs> so they don't really even need mentioning other than I've had this conversation. I've had that post me before. Are you saying the blood of Messiah wasn't enough? <sighs> no. But can we imagine or use extra biblical texts in any way to show perhaps that the first altar was built by Yahweh himself in order to restore communion with mankind? And again, in his clothing of them and the bloodshed that, that it took to do so. If, 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 if the first altar was built by Yahweh, then by design, it has to demand the best. Okay? We know that through the sacrificial system, it had to be a flawless animal, ble no blemishes. The sacrificial lambs of Magdal Edar, which is Bethlehem, where Yeshua the Messiah, the perfect slain lamb sacrificed son, was birthed alongside the sacrificial lambs there. Why? Pure, spotless, blameless, no blemish, perfect for sacrifice. So is it possible that to make clothing to cover Adam and Eve, the entire animal, in giving its life, it had to give its entire life, what about the rest of the animal? Was there any altar erected? Perhaps a pattern was instated there. Because the, the sacrifice demands the entire animal. And the skin we know was used to clothe the first fallen human beings. It's just a speculative thought to ponder on. And so we are beginning talking about we have an altar and what we're going to do in the next is we're going to talk about some stuff in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to drive home a little bit more through some other verses about how it's a response. And we're going to look at Abraham, Noah a little bit more, some pointings to Yeshua. Using scripture to talk about 
man, we're going to talk about the, the plains of Moray and the terebinth trees. And this is where the man of God and the old prophet story gets interwoven into this. And we're going to talk about profane. And we're going to, all this is going to just steamroll and culminate into we have an altar, a biblical promise. And friends, I just want to challenge you to understand the, 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 not the Old Testament understanding alone of a consecrated holy space. And now I'm just magically in Jesus. I'm always holy. I'm always, I'm always sacred. <laughs> what if there's more? What if there's more? More of an understanding that is followed through the timeline of history for us to learn today, to glean from. And so we are talking about the biblical understanding of an altar. Come back for part two, won't you? This is the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. A lot of things that have been lost have not made it to us. Plain and simple. It's okay. We can all be mad and angry and bitter forever, but you know what? Let's move past. Let's just become learned men who study to show themselves approved. Again, pathtozion.com is where you can find all these broadcasts in audio form. Thank you for watching. Have a great day. Come back for part two, won't you? Amen.